I believe that um, we're all here tonight because at one time someone prayed for us. No matter if you're his tonight or if you're not his tonight, you're here tonight because somebody took the time to pray for you. Now I made a, a, a list of a wee just prompters to remind me because the brain cells are not so fresh and so many as they were when I was newly saved. Um, but I remember that the first scripture I ever used in giving testimony was Romans 1.16, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew, for the Gentile, yes, for all, for all, unto anyone who believes. So I'm thankful for these words because sometimes, you know, we're not, we, we don't stand up for the Lord when we should. And this scripture reminds me that I have always to stand up for God. If I can quote a scripture like I am not ashamed of the gospel, then I must adhere to that statement. I was born in a family uh, which turned out to be a very big family, I suppose. Um, there was mum and dad and mum's mum, granny, and I uh, ended up with seven brothers and me, three older and three younger. Now, dad came from Cove County Cork, and I suppose he'd been brought up in the Catholic uh, area, but he was not a practicing Catholic. I never, ever knew of him going to any chapel or anything. And mum was brought up in the village in northeast of Scotland called Petuli, one street, the sea at one side, the land at the other. So I had the best of both worlds, farming and fishing. But that's where we grew up. And religion, anything to do with Christianity, was never mentioned in our home. We were left to make up our own minds. Um, so that was the the situation. No church, nothing. The only time I went to church was with the school at Easter and Christmas. That's the only time I ever heard anything about the Lord. But when I was 11 or 12 years old, the late pilgrims, Sandy Moynan and Hillis Fleming, came to my village and I went along to their meetings for the children after school and I loved them. I loved all the choruses that I was learning. I loved it so much and I was so happy that I would sneak in at night because I never knew if children were allowed into the meeting at night. And I loved it, singing away up at the back there and listening to what they had to say. And then one day after school at one of the meetings, um, they had been ministering and asking, you know, have you got Jesus in your heart? Would you like Jesus in your heart? And I said to one friend, well, I would. And I think there was about four or five of us decided to stay back. And uh, Sandy and Hill says, come away, children, it's time to go home. And me of all people, this person who was very introvert, not shy, but backward at coming forward, if you know what I mean, very introvert, I said, but you said if we wanted to ask Jesus in our heart, we would stay. And I don't know who were more shocked the two young pilgrims or me, that I had actually said this. But anyway, one of the, the, the girls that stayed behind 
had such an influence in all her family that they all came to the Lord, every one of them. Um, and our mum used to worship with me. Our brother uh, went through school with me. Um, but that just showed you uh, how much uh, these two young pilgrims taught us and influenced us in the right way to go. But sadly for me, I didn't go uh, all the way, you might say. I went into the world and um, into the, the things that certainly were not glorifying to God. But through all this time, the Lord sent people to remind me that he still loved me. A young girl came to work with me, taught me choruses. After I got married and moved to Malig in the West Coast, two Shetland women who followed the fishing, they invited me to go to church. And, and there was always that little drop of water. You know, the dripping, the constant dripping of water on a stone will make a hole in it. And this was just these little drips of water every now and then on my heart, my hard, stony heart. Well, like I said, I got married, went to Malig, knew nobody, but I had to go there with my husband. He was a fisherman at the time. And uh, the following year, my son Malcolm was born in Inverness. Um, but sad to say that marriage uh, didn't last. And home I went, angry and bitter, many other things, I might say. Marriage failed, I moved home. And I'd sing in the pubs at the weekends. I worked very hard to provide for my son. Uh, and that's how it was for years and years, working, singing, taking care of my son. And then 12 years after the divorce from my husband, I got married again. But sadly, this didn't last long because Jim was killed in a road traffic accident when he was 41. So there I was, myself and my son again, and I started working for this company, and it was manual labor, to be quite honest, but it tired me. And I could go home at night, and I was tired. But after I'd done my work at the place, two brothers and myself would go out onto the sea in one of my brother's boats, and we would pull and lift 45 lobster creels. So I was certainly very, very tired and ready to get to bed and back to work next morning. And that's what life was, was, was for me. Work, filling in this void that was in my life. There was no peace. There was no happiness. There was no joy. People said, oh, you'll enjoy yourself singing in the pubs and so on. Don't believe it, friends. There's no joy in that whatsoever. But in 1984, things began to change. And my brother John, he came to stay in my home. And um, he started going out with this girl, Christine. She's now my sister-in-law. And um, Christine's dad was a Christian man, a godly man. And John came home to me one night and he said, have you got a Bible? I said, what do you want a Bible for? 
He said, no, that's with his words, not mine. He says, Christian's dad's a holy roller, and I'm going to prove him wrong. How can you prove God's word wrong? It's impossible. So the result was, Jake had led my brother John to the Lord. And I saw, um, I can only say now, with hindsight, a miraculous change in my young brother. It was brilliant to see him being so happy, full of life. And um, he used to come home and say, Anita, people are praying for you. I said, oh, they're wasting their time. And it went from that as weeks went by. Well, that's very nice of them. Well, but finally, John went through the waters of baptism in September 85. And um, it was a very stormy, stormy day. The waves were rolling in. Catherine's been in Cairnbulg. She knows what it's like out there. It's cold. It's wild. But he was going into this water, and I thought, oh, he's crazy. He's crazy. He came out, and so everyone were going to congratulate him and say bless you and so on. I thought, well, I better go as well. You see, by this time, I had been singing and enjoying the choruses as well because I knew all the choruses because John taught me them because he was always singing. And people there who didn't know me or who I was thought I was another Christian because I was singing along and enjoying it all. And then um, Roger, John's pastor, came and said, oh, who's this lady? And John says, this is my sister. Ah, the one we've been praying for. And I just said, well, thank you very much and walked away. Unknown to me at that time, Roger had said to John, I believe God is telling me that your sister is going to be next. It'll be very soon, and God will use her in ways that you could never imagine. Well, that man was was right. That was September. I went and heard John's testimony, and I knew that everything he said was right. And then on the 29th of December... 1985, that same year, things happened to me. Hallelujah. And you read in Ephesians 4, the last part of 24, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness. What has Pastor Eric been speaking about? righteousness, holiness. And I knew that I had to put on the new self and follow God's prompting by the Holy Spirit in my heart. And I grabbed my brother John's hand and I walked down to the front to that meeting, tears streaming down my face, Tears streaming down his face and in the faces of many more that had been praying so faithfully for me. And I said, Lord, this is my life. I'm handing it over to you now. I spent 20 years in the wilderness, Lord, and I repent of that. And I asked them, come into my heart. You've never let me go. You've always let me know that you love me. Come into my heart. 
I want to give my life to you. I want to yield my all to you. I'll tell you, bitterness, gone. Anger, gone. The heavy, heavy weight that I carried, gone. Grief, it wasn't so hard after that. And I thank God that he was faithful and that he gave me that second chance because where would I be now if he didn't? The Lord took it all away. And you know, he gave me a love for others. He changed my life completely in allowing me to work with children. And let me tell you, when I was 15 years old, having four younger brothers to sort of keep amused, to let mom do what she had to do, I said, I'm having nothing to do with kids when I grow up. <laughs> At the age of 10, I had a five-year-old and a four-year-old to look after. They were lovely, and they still are. They still are. But God gave me the privilege of working, of all things, with children. They started me off as teaching the preschoolers, and I ended off superintendent of the whole um, Sunday school. And he, he got me involved in so many things that I am so thankful for. This very introvert person, I was so introvert. When I was asked a question at school, which I knew the answer to, and, and the teacher said, Anita, my face would go bright red and the tears would come into my eyes. That's, that's how bad I was. I was so introvert. God took that away, as you can see. He took that away. I've been involved with the prison ministry, as you know, as you've heard these past couple of days. I did a year's training to work with alcoholics. I worked with drug addicts, parent support group, compassionate outreach where we took food to the houses of, of addicts. A radio ministry, we had Eric on and interviewing him. and He enjoyed walking up the 90 steps to the tower. <laughs> Once he got there, he says, I've got to speak after this, have I? Yeah, but we moved into a different place, but not so many steps after that. Radio ministry, recording, singing, testifying, sharing God's word, to mention some of the things that God has allowed me and given me the privilege to do. And I say all praise, all glory and honor to his name. He's taken me to America on a couple of occasions. He's taken me on mission to the Philippines. Eric and Yvonne took me to Israel, of all places, to sing in different locations. What a joy. He's taken me to Northern Ireland for over 27 years now, into England, and many, many, many places in Scotland. That was that introvert little girl that would hardly say boo to a mouse. You know, there's been many, many links in the chain. Sandy and Hillis. Brother John, Pastor Roger, David Runsey, and Peter Drysdale. The late Peter Drysdale. They have been such an influence in my life. If it wasn't for David Runsey, there would have been no recording. He encouraged me so much in every way. Peter always helped me with my diction and he did the background to the songs that I'd be singing because I wasn't singing much of my own stuff at that time. 
but God gave me songs. And then there was Roy and Mildred Rainey, who are now um, doing the recordings for me. I have met so many people that sing, that testify, that speak, that preach, but never have I heard a preacher like this. I thought the place was going to be in fire the other day. And through the proceeds of the CDs, the Lord has enabled me to help needy individuals, sponsor various Christian organizations. One of the CDs all written while I was going through cancer, I was able to put almost 5,000 back into the, the, the charity for cancer. And hopefully now, Parkinson's, because David now has Parkinson's. He's no longer to record my stuff for me. So there have been so many chains. There's been so many places. And I would say you don't be ashamed of the gospel. Live it. Because that's what I want to do. During the cancer, during and after the cancer diagnosis, I was able to share witness, share testimony and, and, and witness to the medical staff, right to the cleaners, to the visitors, to tell them of uh, God's love and grace and mercy. Two ladies in our church made soup for me every week. It was about the only thing I could eat. They faithfully made that soup every week. A couple, James and Christine, they took me for chemo um, and radio sessions. And there were others helping me in many, many ways. And I'm so thankful for my prayer team, the prayer team I'm involved with on a Thursday morning in my home for Anne and Esme and Rhoda. We have such a wonderful, wonderful times. And I'm taking this opportunity now. If there is anything whatsoever that you need us to pray for, let me know. I've got a piece of paper and a pen. Let me know. And I'll write them down. I've already got a few written down. Um, all these links in the chain. But without prayer. Without prayer, I wouldn't be here. It's a simple as that. And when I go out speaking, prayer is my favorite topic. They say, here's Anita, and we know what our subject is. It will be prayer. So God has done so much in my life. There's so, so, so much more that I could tell you, but we don't have the time for that. But in 1 Kings 19.11 it says, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, then a fire. Then after a fire, a still, small voice. It has been one of the joys of our lives to have this lady in our family and in our home. And the blessing that has flowed out through her life over the years, as we have introduced her to Northern Ireland, and then as she has found out from that beginning, when I first brought her, Nevon, we first brought her across the sea, has been of immeasurable blessing. And you can understand why. And I'm sure that already tonight, God has been speaking into your hearts. 
And I can tell you that there's nothing that the Lord cannot do. There's no brokenness, no fracture, no rupture in your life that he cannot heal, that he cannot mend. But you have to come to him. You have to put away the mask. You have to put away the facade. You have to be honest. Boldly honest. With judgment day honesty. And when you come, there is healing in the fountain. There is power in the cross. The Spirit searcheth all things, and He is searching you. And as He searches, I feel like that hymn it says, Search till thy fiery glance has cast its holy light through all, and I by grace am brought at last before thy face. To fall. What is the thing the Lord is saying to you? What is He putting His finger on? Are you willing to let Him have His way? Are you willing tonight to lay it at the cross? Are you willing to release? And let him do his inmost work.